Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Sir Adam Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani. We're here at Camp Crystal Lake just chilling, getting ready to smoke a doobie, and just hang out with some hot babes and nothing bad's gonna happen, right Adam? Yep, a lot of premarital sex, I hope. Oh, yeah, you know that. Hey, what's that sound? Did you hear that? Probably nothing at all. It's good. Yeah, no. Where's the corkscrew, Ted? (laughs) So, in case you couldn't tell, um, our topic for this week on the Double Edge Double Bill is the Hellraiser franchise now. We're doing the Friday the 13th series, uh, because on the very week of a Friday the 13th in July, uh, we'll be releasing that out here. And um, it's important to kind of talk about this a bit. Uh, Friday the 13th, obviously, is one of the seminal slasher franchises, kind of the one that, along with Halloween, really ushered in the sort of craze that happened in the 80s. Uh, Are you a fan of this franchise, Adam? Absolutely. I'd argue it is the most consistent of all the franchises as well. I would agree with that, because, honestly, when you look back at these franchises most of them are terrible just as franchises yeah some of them take a huge turn like right in the middle too or even really early on honestly yeah that's uh, true we're getting a new halloween movie and um there are far more bad ones than good ones in that franchise for example oh god you mentioned hellraiser good lord yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, most of them are pretty bad for franchises but yeah i would agree Uh that i think friday the 13th for you know it's formulaic kind of nature and sort of the uh, use of Jason in um, all of them from what point, Adam? What movie? Uh, part two. Yes, that's right. You've seen Scream. Congratulations. Uh... No, I've seen all these movies. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you've only seen Scream, clearly. Yep, that's the only way Scream. anyone knows that trivia factoid. It's an interesting franchise that uh, we definitely have enough, at least, though, to do both a good and a bad film for our double feature. In case you don't know, this is your first time listening. We do um, a good and a bad movie. We both come to the table with two movies neither of us is aware of for of mm-hmm. that varying quality point. Adam has two good movies that fit the Friday the 13th franchise, and I have two that um, would be considered bad to some degree in there. Right, yeah, but let's also, with something like this, you know, it's good to keep in mind that these are good to me and those are bad to you. You might have picked one that I really like, and I might have picked one that you really hate. Why don't we go oh. ahead and I'll start, Adam, by picking okay. a number between 1 and 10, and whichever one of these I pick, whichever number I have, and whatever's closest, will be our good side of this double feature. So, for me, I am picking number 4. At number 3, Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning, which I think is one of the most underrated sequels well, that is interesting. I I, I love that movie. That. <laughs> um, and then I also, just for shits and gigs, threw the remake in there. Because I also think the remake gets hated on a lot for no particular reason. I mean, it's everything that should be in a Friday 13th movie in there. So Interesting. Uh, that's the only one I haven't seen, actually, is the remake. That's the one really? I want to see. Yes. I think it's pretty fun, dude. You might like it. You might not. I don't know. Fuck you. <laughs> but now, Adam... <laughs> You've got the two bad choices, so... Yes, I do. Dish it out. I'm gonna go with number seven. Okay. At number six was uh, the very highly controversial Jason Goes to Hell. The final. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's a good pick for a bad one. <laughs> and, well, you know, I'm I'm gonna say, I don't hate Jason Goes to Hell. I don't either. It's crazy. Like, there's a lot of just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks in it. But there's some good in there, too. 
Right. Um, and by the way, at number four for me would have oh. been um, Friday the 13th Part 2, which I'm not personally a fan of. Oh, really? I, I'm not a huge fan. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't quite think they got the Jason thing right until around three. And then from there, they kind of got more of his character. Uh, like, yeah, I, I can agree with that, for sure. And mainly the best ones that. are still part six and part four. Those are still yes. like the best, I would say. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, um, But we're yeah. picking, it's interesting, we're doing two of the underdogs. Two of the oft-not-discussed ones. You don't hear people talk about part five or Jason Goes to Hell that much. They're it's both usually, more often dismissed. than. Yeah, it's about. usually four or six, or Manhattan, or Jason X. Yeah, Manhattan's pretty garbage, though. Manhattan is terrible. That's oh, that's. I legitimately hate Manhattan so much. It's not just the false advertising. It's most. I'm just glad you didn't here. pick it because I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> it's so terrible. Uh, the but... Muppets did a better job of taking Manhattan. I'm just gonna say. Oh, definitely, dude. Yeah. Fucking super babies did, or baby geniuses, or whatever. <laughs> oh my god, that, that's a take. Um, well, uh, we'll be back with our slashing double feature right after this. If the memory of Jason still haunts you, you're not alone. Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. The mindless, murderous fury that was buried with Jason has been reborn. And suddenly, terror has become child's play. And we are back from our double feature. The man with no light in his eyes is with me, of course, Adam Thomas, uh, ready to discuss both these entries in the Friday the 13th franchise. Yes, yes, and, uh, and everything you used to describe me is true. Just no light, just dead inside. Just dead eyes. <laughs> But yeah, so let's set up briefly. Our first feature is Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning, which came mm-hmm. out on March 22nd, 1985, and uh, was directed by Danny Steinman, who previously did porn. Which is kind of obvious. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> from a lot of the nudity in the film. So this is the fifth entry in the franchise. In the previous four entries, we, we had, um, well, initially Jason's mother. Of course, slicing people in the first movie. And then two, three, and four had Jason himself slicing and dicing. And four, which was called the final chapter, they infamously killed off Jason by Tommy Jarvis, as played by Corey Feldman, in that film, and then also briefly at the opening of this film. That was because Paramount sort of treated Friday the 13th like a mistress that it didn't want to admit it was getting money off of, you know, where it was just Yeah, which is really weird, because, I mean, they were making just fortune on these movies but they were always sort of embarrassed by it they always kind of treated as like oh my god i can't believe they get pleasure off of you but i'll still support you like a mistress it was very much a mistress style relationship with friday the 13th to the point where four was their intended like no we're ending it here we don't want to keep it going but then four made a lot of money so they're like ah crap fine let's keep doing it but they decided to do something interesting where friday the 13th part five sort of infamous for the fact that it doesn't prominently feature Jason, except for some hallucinations and dream sequences, and mainly becomes sort of a whodunit about um, everybody trying to figure out who's doing these killings in as a copycat killer of Jason. And Well, I'll... I don't think it was billed as that, though, to begin with. I think you were supposed to think it was Jason, like, throughout well, the whole movie until the end. I mean, that's the thing. I'll say this much. I think this movie gets a lot of shit, just because Jason isn't technically in it. But at the same time, I, I do think the weakest element of it really is the whodunit part of it. I, I just, I don't give a shit about the resolution. A lot of the red herrings are not interesting. And especially because, like, so much of what the actual killer's identity is tied to is maybe the worst character in the entire Friday the 13th franchise. With yeah, the, I, uh, I forgot what the character's name is. The big Joey. fat guy who has the, Joey, the, candy, the yeah. guy with the candy bar, um, is terrible. He's, like, the worst stereotype of a fat guy, which, as a fat guy, I personally found very offensive. Right, I, too, am a fat guy, and, uh, yeah, no, I boycott Joey. It's, Joey is so terrible, and that whole sequence is garbage. Even if it does have, 
um, an appearance by the punk is a lifestyle guy from Return of the Living Dead. One of two yeah, Return of the Living Dead cast yeah. members, Mark Ventruli as Vic. That's the character um, who's kind of fun. I love the fact that he's the guy chopping wood and he's so angry right from the start. He's the most obvious red herring, but like in a funny way. <laughs> We're just like, I'm chopping wood. I mean, you're annoying me, Joe. He is really mad. <laughs> and I mean, it takes nothing for him to just snap and kill Joey. It's just, he's offering the candy bar and he's like annoying him, so he axes him in the back. It's so yeah, or, yeah, he tells him, like, you're not very nice at all. You know that? Oh, well, now you're fucking dead. <laughs> Damn. It's pretty stupid. And all that stuff, and his father ends up being Roy, even though Joey awkwardly expositions about, like, as you know, I'm an orphan. And I don't have a lot of connection with other people. And then Roy, the ambulance driver, shows up and is, has a weird stare. And then doesn't show up on the movie again until you reveal he's the killer. And that's dumb. It's it's a really lame reveal, and especially when they it's, do like... It's very stupid. It should have just been Jason. I mean, let's be honest. Honestly, yeah, because aside Going from that... Going after Tommy. I mean, that right. would make sense. Right, because aside from that, I really enjoy this movie as a Friday the 13th movie. The basic premise is... Tommy, now played by John Shepard, it goes to sort of wayward home for kids who have been who have some sort of mental problems of some sort, and um, he's very quiet, very shy, but he meets up with all these people who are there, including the counselors and um, you know the other people who are kind of patients there. And I really like the group dynamic of all the people who are at this camp for wayward souls. It feels kind of like a Island of Misfit Toys kind of thing for these characters, which puts a unique spin on sort of the camp counselor dynamic that we've seen so many times in these movies. I, I really like the group of people, so when they get killed, I really feel for them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think four and five had the best group of people, the ones that you're rooting for. I thought it was, yeah, like you said, I like that it's not just the typical camp counselors, you know, looking to get stoned and laid and shit. All these kids are fucked up. They're all there for a reason, except for uh, Reggie the Reckless. But they're all there for a reason. They all, you know, have either committed a crime or something. Through their vulnerabilities, you, you almost start to care about them a little bit, like the stuttering guy. And, yeah, and, the, I, and I, the counselors as well are actually trying to help these kids. Yeah, right. They're, like, good people. Like, there's not one of the counselors who's, like, you know, trying to, you know, molest one of the girls or, you know, smoking weed with one of the guys or something. They're just generally good people trying to help. Right, the one exception is probably, like, the couple who go off into the woods to make out, which, of course, results in another Friday the 13th. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, we're I mean, just like, ridiculous. fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> which I kind of love. I, I thought yeah, was... right, exactly. I wish it was that easy. Good lord. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was quite the scene, which she was played by uh, Deborah Voorhees. So her last name was actually Voorhees. Yes, who was originally going to be played by a woman who would later be cast in Friday the 13th Part 6 as a different character. Yeah, the one who got her face pushed to the RV, right? Yes, that that yeah. actress. Yes, um, and I also say, despite the fact that this movie was one of a couple Friday the 13ths that got kind of butchered by the NPAA, at the same time, I still felt a lot of the impact of a lot of the kills that take place here, um, including that scene where the two, um, you know, sort of lovers out in the woods end up getting murdered despite the fact that you don't see a lot, um, it's still pretty brutal. And I think that's a big credit to what I would say is probably makes this stand out amongst the other franchises. The sound design in this movie is excellent. I think particularly with the guy who gets his like head squeezed in on the tree, great sound design, phenomenal stuff. Cause you really feel that without even seeing it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that most of the kills in this movie are pretty, like you said, pretty brutal and intense. Like, yeah, they don't show a whole lot. They, you could tell they definitely favored more for nudity than they did the violence in this one. Well, obviously, you know, ex-porn director he picks his own battles. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think the... I thought everything worked. I never... Let's put it this way. I don't watch this one and be like, oh, my God, the MPA ripped this one apart. That's more like part I, seven. Part yeah, seven. Part seven is the worst. <laughs> that ruins that movie completely. Ridiculous. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That makes that one of my least favorite because of it. Yeah, it's weird. That movie, ironically, feels more like a porno that where they cut out the sex scenes because of that. Right, it's like, you know, the plumber shows up and he actually does fix the pipes in that one. <laughs> Very accurate right. description of that. I would also say, you know, speaking of the, the couple that has sex in the middle of the woods, the kill also involving the girl in the garden shears. Once again, you don't see the actual kill, but the aftermath makes that yeah, really and work. and you hear that crunch. Yes. 
<laughs> where you'd only snap the nose bone or whatever. It's it's pretty intense. Well, what are some uh, other kills that worked for you in the movie? I fucking love Miguel Nunez in the porta potty. Oh, I just uh, love Juana that. Man himself. Yeah, Juana Man Nunez. himself. I just love that whole scene. Like you know, oh, it's no damn enchiladas. And he runs to the, he runs to take a shit, and then his girlfriend's outside of the shitter, and they start singing to each other. Right, which is weird. Feels very genuine at the same time. I like those two. And even earlier, like, we get the introduction of him when Reggie comes over and he's the mm-hmm. brother. And I love that connection between those two. This movie does a great job of sort of connecting these characters in a way that makes it feel like you're kind of stepping in on them in the middle of just them living. And then Jason, or in this case, Roy, comes in and kills them. That makes the best Friday the 13th movies when you feel a natural dynamic that makes you feel like you're just stepping into sort of a relationship. Because some of the other Friday the 13th movies kind of just deal with the formula in a way that's kind of lesser. I think that's what especially happened in like 7 and 8. Kind of feel like we're just going through the motions. Eight, yeah, versus eight, this, it's completely just through the motions. Right, Absolutely. versus here, it feels like, okay, we're doing a Friday the 13th movie. Well, let's make these characters feel sort of lived in. And you're just stepping in on them in the middle of a really desperate situation that happens. But they're still just kind of living their lives. I like the scene where like Miguel and Nunes is talking to Reggie. And they're kind of going back and forth, but like, nothing's too good for my brother, gives him a ring. It's like, can I have this one too? Like, it's really fun moments like that that actually make you invest in when these characters die. Yeah, like you said, it gives it stakes. You know, you want to see them make it through. You want to see them live. Whereas, you know, I'd argue even a lot of the people in part six who are, are basically just become cannon fodder at this point. It felt like right after this one, they really made the switch to where it was more about the kills and how cool Jason looked as compared to the actual, you know, people in the movie. But to go back to the Miguel and Nunez thing, I would honestly say the porta potty kill, despite how sort of silly it is in context of like, oh, he's taking a shit and then he gets killed in the porta potty, that's a really fucked up situation to die in. That's where you're, yeah, just, like, you're dude, stuck in an enclosed space sh- and yeah. you can't really maneuver around and Jason just like stabs you through. And especially when he stabs the leg first and really hurts and then also you see the body that's like blocking the doorway. That's really messed up. Yeah, it's very terrifying. You're stuck in this, you know, in one of your most, uh, oh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Compromising position. Compromising position, thank you. You're stuck in a very compromising, you know, potentially embarrassing situation. And, God, just, oh, that you can't get out of it no matter what you do. And that's, I don't know, man. Do you think it would run through your mind the last couple of minutes? Like, oh, no, my parents didn't know I got shit in you know? That would be one like, of several thoughts that run through your mind probably at that point. I would think so, right? Like, oh, wipe my ass, please, before you die. <laughs> R.I.P. Juana, man. Right, R.I.P. <laughs> you know, Miguel Nunez, man, it's funny that I'm sitting here thinking about it. So he was in this, he was in Return of the Living Dead, I think he was in Leprechaun in space. Yes, he was. He was he, in space. So he just, he was just bouncing all over these shitty franchises for a while there. And then he did you on him, man. And then he did you on him, man. He will never let you on a man down. No, God, how could he? But hey, we're all better for it. That's true. We're all better for getting past you on a man. But still <laughs> attaching that to him. But you know what? I want to talk about John Shepard for a bit as Tommy. Obviously, he's the least sort of famous of the people who played Tommy because you have in part four, Corey Feldman. And then after this, you had Thaw Matthews, who would also be in Return of the Living Dead, and then do nothing else. Nothing else. Gee, I think he popped in a couple shitty action movies, but that was it. And Return of the Living Dead, too. He also popped mm-hmm. in. Um, but he's at least a bit more famous than that John Shepard, who I still really like in here. I think he portrays a damaged yet unedged version of Tommy that really feels genuine, especially when, as things keep going, you really see the psychology and the weight of what Jason did in part four, really building on him. I, I actually really feel invested in Tommy in this movie. And it's something that kind of carries over in six, but they didn't really for obvious reasons of like, this wasn't very popular <laughs> an entry. I'd argue that John Shepard, other than Corey, Phil, I think he's better than Tom Matthews. You feel like this guy's been through the shit. And uh, when he snaps, you know, and snaps on junior and, you know, beats the pants out of him, It's believable. Like he's throwing all the rage and everything into this performance. He's kind of intimidating in certain scenes. No, I thought John Shepard was great in this movie. I thought he was fantastic. And I, I think I saw on one of the documentaries that have come out, like either his name was Jason or uh, Crystal Lake Memories or one of them, I believe he became like a born-again after doing this movie. And that's one of the reasons also why they didn't come ask him back for the sixth. No, I believe that's true. I still would say my favorite is Thon Matthews. 
I would argue that he has an interesting sort of heroic role that we really don't get in this franchise too often because essentially uh, Tommy Jarvis is basically the Nancy of the series where you've had a couple characters obviously who carried over like the survivor of part one gets killed off at the beginning of part two and you also had Amy Steele in the second movie who despite my issues with that second movie she's a standout and one of the better characters in the franchise I really like sort of the weird arc that kind of occurs as in the sort of middle trilogy of this franchise between four five and six and I still think that Thom Matthews, I would love to see him come back, and he has come back in certain ways, for if you've seen the fan film of the recent Friday the 13th that uh, showed up, he might be in that. But that, that Never Hike Alone or whatever? Never Hike Alone, yes. I didn't know he was in Oh, that, that, I, I would that. recommend that fan film. It's only like an hour long, too, isn't it? It is, yeah, I would really recommend that fan film. It's one of the few fan films that. I would say it's pretty damn great but yeah i i still like john shepherd at the same time i think he's really portrays a lot of um that mix of sort of the like i said the desperation the quietness of like a kid who suffered through ptsd he doesn't really speak that much in the movie at all but also when he does kick ass he kicks fucking ass um especially the, the guy who's the son of ethel yeah junior yeah junior, yeah, junior. I, I fucking love that yeah. roadhouse style scene where he beats the yeah. shit out of that guy beats the shit out of him dude <laughs> Talking then, about someone who's just going off the rails in this movie was uh, Ethel, Carol Cadle. Is she just over hamming it up or what? In this but movie, she's one yeah. of the more memorable characters in the whole I franchise agree. because of that. She's so I good. agree. Shut me, I got a bomb on me. <laughs> Would you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> and also both the deaths of her and Junior are pretty memorable in this movie. Um, where she gets, like, stewed to death, and then he gets his head lobbed off with a, admittedly for 85, a pretty realistic severed head. Since we're talking about, kind of talking about the deaths, I mean, obviously it's a Friday 13th franchise, that's kind of what you talk about. The only one that I really didn't really like was the twins. Uh, I can't think of their names, but with the uh, the road flare. Yeah, the effects are kind of dated there. Well, it's not, they're, they're, their characters are stupid, and, you know, the one, <laughs> just, I didn't, I did not get into that one. For some reason, I thought that was completely unnecessary. I mean, that's, to be fair, there are, this one does kind of suffer from cannon fodder as well. With a lot of just yeah. like small characters who briefly show up. That's the thing. Is in the other movies, I kind of try and build them up as characters. Versus in this movie, they're kind of introduced in one scene and killed off in the same scene. It's like that. There's also one of the... Par- the asshole paramedic kind of has that too. Even though I really like the whole sequence, there's the one sort of bus driver guy. Who ends up going off to his uh, waitress girlfriend's diner place. And he gets chopped in the head in an awkward oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Where they're trying to do blow. Right, yeah, and his and his melon head gets chopped. And I yeah. love the fact that apparently the effects designers didn't know he had a bald spot, and they had to hastily remake the head so they had a bald spot on it. I love also the diner girl. Uh, I think she's a fun sort of side character for the franchise as well, where mainly she is used for TNA, but it's in a funny way uh, for doing literally... She imitated Roy Scheider and all that jazz, which is like, it's showtime she previously did that from that movie she'd just seen it and pitched it to Danny Steinman and was like, oh, that's great. We should use that. It, and she's kind of like a fun, ditzy character and then she gets killed off. Uh, and that's another one where you don't see the actual gore, but you feel the impact at the same time Jason hitting her in the gut. Yeah, no, I thought La- Lana. Yeah, that was her. Lana yeah. and Billy. Yeah, I thought she was great in it. I, I thought she was actually one of the more, like you said, memorable, quick scene you know, where they, like you said, introduce them and come off in the same scene out of the whole franchise. I remember her. And it probably is because of that It's Showtime thing. Or it could be because of fucking Billy with his mustache. I don't know. But, but yeah, I, I there's scenes in this one that I forget every time that are in this one. I always think about them in other entries in the franchise. Because there's a lot of good in here. A lot of memorable in this movie. And I guess we should also talk about the performance of, sort of, it's a combination of um, Tom Morga mainly plays Jason in the movie, but you also do have uh, Danny Wyland, who shows up as Roy, and does also show up occasionally as Jason. And what do you think of this performance as Jason? Because there are various different Jason performers, mm. and some are more favored than others. What do you think of the use of sort of this version of Jason in the film? I, I wouldn't go as far as say either of them are very uh, memorable or do anything different as compared to you know what you would expect out of someone playing Jason. I, I argue that you really only have three Jasons franchise-wide who even brought anything different to the character. Uh, I mean, they're okay. You know, Tom Morgan stands around and Dick Ryan just sort of 
lumberly, moves quickly, and that's pretty much it. I mean, do you, you know, think they really add anything to it? I'll say, I think my problem with this movie is more that it's inconsistent, because I wouldn't mind necessarily someone to say kind of taking over the Jason role if they played it a bit differently. I think my problem with this movie is that they kind of have the inconsistencies of sometimes he is the Jason super strength, and sometimes he doesn't, and I prefer it so much more when it feels more like he doesn't. Like in scenes where yeah, like John Shepard yeah. faces off against him and he stabs him in the crotch area, and you, I think, really feel the pain um, off of the character when he's like stabbed in the fucking crotch, and it feels like just a real person who is imitating Jason, and then ultimately she's like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I got stabbed in the dick. Why'd you do that, dude? That sucks so hard." Yeah, like, what the hell, man? Like that really works. Not so much when see, like, there's a scene where he like bursts through the door. And it literally, like, splinters into pieces. Like, that feels more just, like, regular Jason mode. And it doesn't quite work for me as much. I wish they kind of played on that more. And kind of leaned into the idea this is a guy imitating Jason. And I just think they kind of played loosey-goosey with him and didn't give a shit. Which I was kind of disappointed, honestly. I, I wish they did that more to separate this Jason from others. Like I said, that's the problem. There's nothing in here that you haven't seen in the previous four movies. You know, I'd argue Ted White was probably the best Jason. Let's put it this way. I, neither of those Jason's performances really leave a lasting impression on me at all. Like, I don't think of this movie's Jason's when I think of the franchise. But, Adam, he has the blue marks on the hockey mask. It makes him so distinct. I know, and you know, the thing is about that, I remember when I was a lot younger and I saw this movie for the first time. I don't remember exactly when. Um, and I don't even know if I knew of the twist. I probably didn't. Because you got to figure the internet and all that wasn't really around. I noticed that on my first view. And I'm like, wait a second. His mask is different all of a sudden. So, I mean, I'd just like to throw that out there that uh, I'm kind of a detective. Or the Batman of our modern age, guys. Yeah, right. The world's yeah. greatest detective right here. <laughs> Despite some of the issues we've been having, you really said this was a very underrated entry in the franchise. And oh, yeah. Definitely. What really makes you feel that? What makes you think that this deserves far more credit than it probably has gotten in the last over 30 years or so since it came out. Well, I mean, let's face it. It, it gets shit on because it's, you know, the imposter Jason or fake Jason or whatever people call it. But everything that you, anybody mentions that they like in any of the other Friday the 13th movies is in this one. It's got a great ensemble cast, memorable characters, TNA if that's what you're into, good deaths, suspense, it, I don't understand why people don't like it. I just, I literally don't understand. I get fake Jason. Some people felt they might have been like ripped off, like kind of like the Halloween 3 syndrome. But it's still a guy in a hockey mask running around hacking kids up. Like it's still a Friday the 13th, like 100%. So yeah, I've never understood the hate for this movie, ever. So would you have minded if, say, they went with the ending of this movie, in which Tommy dons the Jason mask and sort of becomes Jason, in a way they were trying to tease for a future entry, but didn't end up doing because of how popular it was? Would you have minded if sort of we had Tommy and maybe others continue the reign of the Jason mask? Well, I wouldn't have minded it per se, but I don't think the series would have had the longevity it has now. I mean, people want to see Jason Voorhees, they don't want to see crazy Tommy Jarvis A with the Jason mask on. Now, if they would have done something where Tommy went crazy and then Jason did come back and crazy Tommy had to face, you know, Jason, that would have been pretty cool. But no, I mean, let's face it, the Friday 13th series is all about Jason. You want to see Jason. It'd be like making a Nightmare on Elm Street with a different character in the lead. You, you can't really do it. I mean, admittingly, that's a bit more complicated because Jason's been portrayed by various characters versus a Robert England being so iconic as the Freddy role. I, I think it, you, you mentioned Halloween 3 method of it it feels like an even later game attempt at that but also trying to tie it into the franchise it feels a bit messy i think if they did the whodunit method of it better i would be a lot more interested in them kind of doing that in future franchises making almost like friday the 13th is an agatha christie thing that would be awesome the sloppy way they handle it it makes sense to me why it just feels like oh i don't know if you want to keep continuing doing that i, I wish if they had executed that better here I think I wouldn't mind sort of having a slasher franchise do that. I wouldn't mind if you did a slasher franchise around this era that kind of played on that method of it. Which I think would honestly be a better method, even if you were to do, like, say, a modern slasher franchise. It would probably be a way to go to differentiate yourself. I agree. I think, that's, I think that would work very, very well. In fact, yeah. 
if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that kind of the original plan for Halloween? Well, no, Halloween was full on anthology in terms of just like, hey, let's not just do a slasher movie every time. Obviously, right. every, every year it's, it'll be called Halloween something, but it's going to be a completely standalone story. Yeah, if only Halloween 2 hadn't just fucked that up. <laughs> for little payoffs. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. As it stands, I'm kind of conflicted because I have all those feelings about like if they did it well. But at the same time, I still think, say, without this movie's sort of mixed reception, we wouldn't have gotten part six, which I would argue is the best entry in the whole franchise. I think that's my favorite, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and plays with the idea of zombie Jason really well. Mm-hmm. And I think this, even with the other movies where they're lesser, I think they do a really great job of integrating zombie Jason into it. Big credit, obviously, to Kane Hodder, who we'll talk about when we get to our second feature a bit more. But um, it, it's so it's kind of mixed feelings for me. But at the same time, I still do appreciate what this movie is kind of trying to do, especially with Tommy having that PTSD. I think that really reigns really true, and even when you sort of get the visions of Jason, I really feel Tommy's desperation and his qualms with the idea of kind of trying to face off against the character. It's not great. It's obviously a low-rent slasher movie, but it's dealing with more... It's fun, and it's also dealing with more complex themes than the average slasher movie at the same time. Which is why I would say this is far better than it's gotten the reputation of being. And it is sort of in a top five of the franchise for me. In a way that I would hope more people would go back and kind of embrace this movie a bit more. Yeah, just give it another chance. I think a lot of the problem is people's... Well, not diehard fans. I mean, the diehard Friday 13 fans have all seen this movie probably several times. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, casual people who might not have seen or only seen it once when it first came out, I, you know, I think it could do for a rewatch. Right, going into the franchise, that was the one I always kind of avoided because I heard all that stuff about it. And then when I first watched it, I did say, well, despite the issues, I do like this movie. And then even with this rewatch, I found even more to kind of be surprised and invested in, in all honesty. And I think that's definitely why, if you're a Friday the 13th fan out there, who says this is the low point of the franchise? One, re-examine some of those later entries and realize that might not be the case. And two, yeah. appreciate the fact that this movie is also, it, it does a bit of both. It has its cake and eats it too, in terms of being an entry in the franchise, but also doing something slightly different with it, in a way that should be more commended than condemned. Even if, like I said, they do a shitty job. With kind of the whodunit element of it. It's kind of lame. Also, I love the fact that the news clipping stuff at the end, there's a picture that's right on of Jason that some photographer probably had to die getting. But yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. How do you get that shot? <laughs> a credit to the cinema snob who pointed that out way <laughs> early in his career. And yes, it's very true. But yeah, briefly, final thoughts. Four, five, and six do really form sort of what I would consider more of an essential trilogy of the franchise. I agree. I, I would almost say, in fact, no, I'm, fuck it, I'm going to say it. I'm going to stick to my gums. If you just want to get the best of the series, I don't think you need to watch any of the other ones. I would say just four, five, and six, and it's a nice, tight little package. I mean, if you want to keep going after that, one and three have their moments, I would say. Yeah, but, I, oh, God, the rest of them, good it's, lord. It's, it's, I mean, to be fair, we've said it's the most consistent of the Slasher franchises, which is to say... It doesn't have too many terrible. At least it's got a string of three that run together that are good. That's true. It's like, like that's the, very it, rare. You it's like the Star Trek mess. trilogy of two, right. three, and four. Right. It's exactly. like that for this franchise for sure. And if anything, you know, I've said this before in many in other podcasts I've done. Whenever they eventually do the actual thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth movie, I think they need to kind of, if you want to do something interesting, bring back Tommy Jarvis. I think that's really, uh, yes, a hundred percent. Do a legacy sequel, but with Tommy Jarvis kind of, like, handing it down to his kids or something like that. Bring back, you know, probably Thom Matthews, because I don't know if John Shepard's still acting, and Corey Feldman probably is a liability. <laughs> so get Thom Matthews. Um, yeah, I'd say Corey Feldman's a liability at this point. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so we're saying underrated entries. But yes. speaking of hotly contested entries in the franchise, oh, let's fuck. get to our second feature, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Death wears many different masks, but pure evil wears only one, and this is 
your final chance to see it. Jason goes to hell. The final Friday. Yep. So this is this is one. This this is a movie. This is now. This is another one, much like Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, that takes a lot of risks and does things different. A lot of risks with not a lot of payoff. Arguably. So directed and co-written by Adam Marcus, who was twenty-three years old at the time he made the movie along with the rest of the crew, was mostly under 25. And you kind of feel that. It's not too professional. Yeah, 100%, yeah. You, you do kind of feel it's more young, ambitious gumption that's carrying it than talent or skill. When you think about it, I mean, just giving the reins over to just a bunch of untested kids. The ninth in a, in a blockbuster franchise, which was, I mean, to be fair kind of stalling out at this point you know a little bit of franchise fatigue but that puts a lot of i would imagine a lot of pressure on those kids too yeah and i mean you kind of feel it um but still at the same time i i do agree this isn't a great entry in the franchise or even a good one but i'd argue there's a lot of interesting ideas that make this far more watchable than a lot of the worser ones in the franchise because the worser ones tend to just be kind of like, well, we're repeating the same formula, but not that well, or we haven't quite gotten the formula yet, versus this throws the formula out the window for the most part and just has a lot of weird things that just throws at the wall to see what sticks. And I'd say there's a fair amount of stuff that sticks in an interesting way for me. I would say uh, mainly with a lot of the side characters. I love yeah. people like uh, Stephen Williams as Creighton Duke is one of my favorite say, characters. He's so awesome. No, a Creighton Duke is fantastic. When he just breaks John LeMay's fingers, you're like, oh, man, this guy's not messing around. No, I, and I like, I've always liked the idea of that there's somebody out there who's hunting Jason, who's trying to get Jason, trying to kill him, you know, for whatever reason. And uh, they did that with Tom Matthews in Part 6. They kind of did it with um, the one girl's brother in the fourth one. Right. And, uh... It's just, I've always thought that was such a cool idea. And Steve Williams, I mean, he just chews the scenery in this movie. He's like, so what's cool. The, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Jason Voorhees? I think of a girl in a pink dress putting a hot dog through a donut. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. In fact, that's really kind of creepy. But, hey, whatever, Crane Duke. But I, I think it's... You can tell this movie is written by a young kid who would have been in college, who's kind of thinking of subverting the franchise in ways that they feel are kind of interesting. And I think there's a lot of stuff in there. Like, I, I will say, I love the opening of this movie. I think the opening of this movie would honestly, like, be a great finale to the Friday the 13th franchise in terms of, or almost something that could be a whole movie. Special Forces trying to hunt down and kill Jason. And they do it by sending one of their female operatives in to be precarious and be like the average cannon fodder of a Friday the 13th movie to draw Jason out and then that whole scene with him being gunned down and then exploding I love the creativity of that idea that feels like it's from someone who's studied the franchise knows it very well and knows of an interesting way to kind of put a spin on things I think that's a great opening oh I agree and it also shows that you know, he knew right from the beginning he was going to go on a different route. Where basically he kills off Jason in the typical way that, you know, Jason's always operated with the female bait. And then they just blow him completely apart. And then it's like, all right, now my Friday the 13th movie starts. The, you know, it's almost what Adam Marcus it felt like, almost like what he was saying. And you definitely got his version of a Friday the 13th movie. It's fucking crazy. Like, it's nuts. When I first saw this and all of a sudden, you know... Richard Gant is the coroner, just starts eating the heart. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This is a Friday 13th movie? And then it just gets crazier and crazier. Yes, and I, I would say Richard Gant's probably my favorite person who ends up uh, sort of encountering Jason and being taken over. I love the whole coroner scene where he's exhuming Jason's body. He's just like, he's deader than shit. Um, exhume that from the record. And, <laughs> and stuff like that. I really like 
so much of the idea of taking on the myth of Jason and having Jason sort of be in this more precarious position. And then even when he gets taken over by, you know, sort of the worm creature, not the hugest fan of that in terms of when we get to the mythology of like, oh, a J- another Voorhees like woman has to reborn Jason and all that shit. That's dumb. It's kind of stupid that Jason is connected to sort of these characters in that way. But at the same time, honestly, if this was more of, say, a hidden ripoff explicitly than being this movie, I think it'd be a lot more celebrated as a horror movie and have a lot more fans versus the very hotly contested nature of it as a Friday the 13th movie. It does feel like they're really trying to burrow in that idea into the mythology in a stupid way. You know, I could see that. If they had flipped it and this would have somehow been a Freddy Krueger movie, it would have made more sense. I agree. You know what? That's very astute. I agree with that. Because that makes way more sense for Freddy. And we kind of draw upon stuff you've already done in the mythology with, like, part two has a lot of that. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. It just doesn't quite fit. Especially because I give him credit for kind of having the people imitate Kane Hodder as the character at yeah. certain points. But Jason just isn't memorable enough a presence to show up as, like, a body switcher kind of thing like this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all he does is slowly walk and, you know, with the Kane Hodder Jason, do the deep breaths. And uh, that's pretty much it. You know, it's hard because I definitely do love this franchise. I It's, if I really thought about it, it's probably my favorite out of all the slasher horror franchises of the 80s and early 90s. But this one is really rough. But I will say, I'll take this one over the previous and the next installment. Manhattan I, and Jason X. Yeah, I'll watch this over Manhattan or Jason X. Um, because at least there's just, like you said, enough shit in this movie where you're bound to grab something out of the pile you like. There's yeah. got to be something. I mean, I would argue Jason X kind of does that too, but in oh, a way, once yeah. again, it just doesn't quite fit the franchise. That's no, just the, the, the bigger problem, is that like if it was a space killer slasher movie isn't quite connected to Jason, I think that would be more appreciated. I think it has a similar kind of issue for me. But also, with this movie, I, I think there's other side characters I really want to mention. Like, I love uh, Rusty Swimmer and Leslie Jordan as the couple who runs the diner that um, sort of has all this, like, Jason paraphernalia around. And Rusty Schwimmer has just, like, so many lines that apparently were improvised that I love. Like, when they have the baby of the main couple in the back, and he's, she's like, oh, no, you're not coming here. No one's gonna touch that ray of fucking sunshine. <laughs> I know. I love that line so, so much. awesome. And how she makes the Jason burger later on, too. And Leslie Jordan, who you might recognize from, like, the American Horror Story seasons. He plays, like, wimpy husband. I love him, too, where he's just like, that's my gal, every time she says some horribly profane thing. <laughs> yeah, no, they were great. Actually, next to Craig and Duke, they're probably my favorite side characters in the movie. Yeah, because, I mean, let's just, all right, let's just call it out. The main two in this movie, they're kind of boring. You know, I'll disagree with John D. LeMay. I actually like John D. LeMay as a protagonist in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's a weird thing where I, I I feel for both him and at least the plight of uh, Jessica, Carrie Keegan, um, in the movie. I, I think You know, I think John D. LeMay, who also, interestingly, was one of two people to appear from the TV show, Friday the 13th, and be in this movie. Um, I, I think he has like some interesting chemistry with, say, like the one deputy who's at the sheriff's station. I think he has some fun moments between him, like when, when they were both outside in the car, and he's like, I've got a gun. Fuck that. I've got a gun. <laughs> like, shit like that. Or um, the way he kind of gets out of situations. I think he's a, a fun protagonist. I just don't know, once again, if the drama of the baby that's mainly done just because of the whole Voorhees mythology thing, that just, I think if they played that more as like a genuine drama that's not related to Jason, I would be more invested in their story than just being oh, Jason needs to be right. reborn through a fucking Voorhees and we have the tension. It's it's dumb that way, but the basic idea of that tension I actually really enjoy. Um, yeah, you know, okay, I'll give you John LeMay, cause, and, and plus also, you know, he, his character, he's not the quintessential, like, hero in these movies. He's very against type. So, yeah, I'll give you John LeMay. Carrie Keegan, I just thought was so boring. I agree with you. I wish they gave her more to do as a character, because like I said, I like that drama of, like, the... A couple, it's not traditional for the Friday the 13th movie of right. um, a couple who were together, but then she's separated and they have a child and he doesn't even know that it's her, his kid. I think that drama is unique for a Friday the 13th movie. I just wish they gave more for the mother side of that to actually do. Yeah, no, 100%. 
Um, Because she almost just comes across like she's kind of an asshole because of it. Because they don't really explain. Well, they explain it, but it's just they don't give her enough um, (laughs) exposition. You know, but uh, it's funny you brought up the, uh, you know, the thing with the baby. As we're talking about it, you know, they they need, you know, the relative or, you know, someone in the bloodline for Jason to be reborn. Isn't it funny? That just a couple years later, they would try to do basically the same fucking plotline in the Halloween franchise in part six. No, that's right. And this does that way better than part six of Halloween. Right. But this this still was kind of seen as a failure, this movie. No, right. Why would they fucking try it again and do it worse? Well, in Halloween part six. I mean, Halloween... Look, we may get to that later in the year. Hint, hint. Yeah. And hey... (laughs) Hint <laughs> for future episode dropped uh, but is it, it's a problem with a lot of these franchises of like okay we're six seven eight nine entries in how do we spice things up how do we do something kind of different and this movie at least kind of does that with I think more reverence for the franchise versus say Halloween part six it feels just more like we're grasping at straws how do we make Michael Myers interesting the thorn cults sure oh my god <laughs> you know what let's talk about we, we talked, obviously, in Part 5, the kills are a big part of this franchise. I would argue this movie has some of the most impressive kills in the entire franchise. Especially if you watch the unrated cut for some of them. Like the tent death scene. I was going to say, the tent room. scene is horrible. I mean, as in, like, oh my god, it's so shocking, especially the unedited cut. Yeah, That's where that late, she gets remember. just bisected vertically, and it's oh. so fucked up in the unrated cut. It's yeah, so crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Oh, you know, a funny thing, too, that I remember from the documentary about that scene. Those two, the the couple in the tent, they had just broken up in real yes. life like a week before <laughs> they had to do that. And you can tell from, like, the sex scene is a bit awkward. Oh, yeah. That, that comes out. Uh, but also, that's a great bit where they play on the ideas of the franchise, where he takes out the condom, and he's like, ugh, I hate these things, throws it out, and Jason steps on it. So just a signal, oh, just like he has How a sixth right sense about... Face. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, th- I think that's a great gag for someone who's like in on the franchise at the same time. Yeah, I agree. That's just... That's my th- one of my favorite kills franchise-wide. Um, and easily my favorite kill in this one. And it's interesting because that whole subplot, that brief sort of like section, was completely added in reshoots. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. I mean... Was it, do you think just to get the body count up or throwing a gratuitous... I mean, probably sex? to have something more traditionally Friday the 13th. That's, right. Yeah. That, that's definitely why it's probably there. Uh, especially because it's in the middle of the woods, tent scene, all that stuff. I think the other, um, I think it was a sheriff or a deputy or whatever, who gets melted, that's a great kill. And his jaw is still, like, stuck to the ground. Great, weird kill that's yeah, more that's like Cronenberg. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. You know, damn it. You know, that's the thing. That's one of the reasons why I like doing this show, you know, because I go back and I watch these movies that everybody hates this movie for the most part. So I go back and watch it and then I watch it again and I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. But then talking with you about it, it's like I'm starting to remember more and more, you know, find a new appreciation for it. So, you know, I changed my opinion on this movie. I think this movie's great. <laughs> Whoa, let's let's put the brakes. I would yeah, okay, say wait, wait, I better pop the brakes. I think it's, this movie's mediocre. I, you know what? It's definitely it's a very mixed bag, which is better than a lot of light entries in the slasher franchise. In all honesty, because like we're saying, it's taking risks, it's doing something bold. I think if it wasn't as attached to Friday the Thirteenth and was sort of more like I said, a B version of the Hidden, I think you'd get a lot more interest in it. That being said, there's some stuff, especially the climax of this movie, gets fucking stupid. <laughs> where they're it's in the board, so where they're in that house, and it's the whole thing of like, oh, she has to be. Can you be reborn through a dead female Voorhees? And that kind of honestly, I, I don't say this often with a slasher franchise, but going up Jason's sister, like the weird demon thing, that's yeah, it's a bit much, and it's, it, def- it, it it crossed the line a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I don't normally think that with these franchises, but still, it it, it just feels kind of uncouth, even Friday the Thirteenth. And that's right, saying I, something. I agree. I usually don't feel that about these franchises either. Let's face it, slasher movies, you're going to get a lot of that. We just talked un- about an entry made by a porn director. Right, <laughs> It exactly, has a lot of gratuitous right. nudity. Um, and the, the gratuitous nudity doesn't bother me in these movies because I expect it. You know, stuff like that. But this, it, it's one of those scenes where it felt like it didn't need to happen. Like, there was no reason for it to happen that way. 
it could have gone down a different way. It, uh, you know, it, it just, I hate scenes that are done simply for shock value. And that, that's definitely what that was. But at the same time, there's still some interesting creative stuff. And also, you know, we've said this, um, credit to, despite how little he is featured in the movie, Kane Hodder is very much the most appreciated sort of performance of Jason in any of these movies. Started in part seven and went through most of the later entries until Freddy vs. Jason. You can tell that commitment to the part is really there, even in the few scenes he's in here. And I want to say this is an underrated redesign of Jason. I love this version of Jason with like the, uh, you know, the nasty head scrolling over the mask almost. Um, like his head is just like grown over the mask at this point. Yeah, That's it's so nasty and bizarre and just looks painful, but, you know, infected and everything else. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I mean, look, you know, he's the only guy who's played Jason more than one time. He's, and consecutively nonetheless, you know, Kane Hodder, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Kane Hodder is to Jason what, you know, Robert England is to Freddy Krueger. And no, you can't say that. Because Kane Hunter never speaks a line. You never see his face. You never do it. It's just body movement. Um, and there's other guys, in my opinion, that uh, did do it better than Kane Hunter. You got to give the guy credit. I mean, he puts his all into it. I mean, he does throw his whole body into it. And you could tell when he's bursting through doors and, or anything like that, that he's really fucking going at it to take that door to splinters. So I, I've always had an appreciation for Kane Hodder's Jason. But uh, like you said earlier, you know, for these other actors to have to try to body mimic Jason, it becomes a huge issue because you just you're just mimicking the way somebody walks. And that's not distinguishable enough, really, to separate it from anything else. No, I, I completely agree with that. And also shout out to, of course, King Hodder's other appearances in the movie. One is the FBI guard, which mm-hmm. is a cute cameo of him. Just like, yeah, Jason, yeah, who took him down pretty quick. You know, he was pretty much a pussy. You're right, with his mullet. <laughs> Yeah, and then he immediately gets killed. And then also yep. as Freddy's glove. That shows yep. at the very end of the movie to tease a movie that wouldn't come out for ten years after. Yeah, so Kane Hodder technically is the only person who could say he's played both Freddy and Jason. Yes, very, very true. Which, I mean, that movie, uh, that's in maybe another discussion and another point. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's another mixed bag where it's like, oh man, I wish this was just way more Freddy and Jason actually fighting instead yeah. of all these other characters who I couldn't give less of a fuck about. Yeah, less than a fuck about. Or really homophobic slurs for no reason. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Which, speaking um, of which, is in complete contrast to this movie that has a homoerotic shaving scene. Right! <laughs> that like, end, that, that ends on a man-on-man kiss. Uh, I mean, completely. Yeah. Completely. I mean, but again, as we already said, Adam Marcus had balls, dude. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you cannot say the guy didn't have fucking balls. And I've seen interviews with him where people are like mean to him and go after him on social media or at conventions and stuff. Like you fucking ruined Friday Thirteenth, blah 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 blah. Dude, at least he tried something different, and it wasn't the same shit over and over and over again. That's the problem with these type of movies with slashes. Once something's changing it, people freak out. You redo it or do the remake and make it just like the original, people freak out. It's nothing new. It's nothing different. You can't please anybody. I give Adam Marcus credit just simply on the fact that he just did the craziest shit that he could think of and hoped that it worked. And it's also something that, like, when you think of the thematics of the movie, there's a lot about, like, sort of the Voorhees in terms of dealing with family and dealing with loss and all this other stuff that at least, I will say, feels thematically connected to the first movie. Because that's a movie that's all about family and loss. And he said as much as, like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what inspired a lot of the ideas that he did here. It's a unique way of twisting what the original movie kind of did. Not always great, not even consistently good, but it is an interesting move, which is definitely, like, for... If that 13th, Friday the 13th movie ever happens with all the fucking legal battles that are going on... Yeah, I don't I, see that happening. I would hope they take at least some inspiration from the chutzpah, if not necessarily from all of the individual choices that happen in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I agree. Because, like, what would you want to see even if they ever ended up doing another Friday the 13th? What would you want to see to, like, really have it stand out? You know, and I don't agree with this, but I remember when they first saw it, it's going to be in the snow. Like, so? <laughs> that doesn't change anything. <laughs> or they're like, first person. No. No, that doesn't make any sense either. 
I don't want more backstory. I don't want to meet Jason's dad or anything like that. Like I know they were going to do in a couple of the movies. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to see more interesting characters. Like I would t- totally take another Creighton Duke type character again. I would totally take another John LeMay or you know the misfit kids from Part Five, like we talked about. Or t- I I want to see Tommy Jarvis. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a Tommy Jarvis com- combined with like a Creighton Duke type character. Where he's this road weary, fucking older man now, beaten down. His whole life has been going after Jason. He's got nothing for himself, and finally Jason reappears. You know, it's just chaos. It's just it's chaos in wherever it is, even if it is in fucking suburbia. I don't care, but it's just where everything around it would be affected by these two forces of nature finally coming back against each other. To me, that would be cool. I do really agree. What I really think works about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise is it feels like it is just sort of sued in the campfire story of a boogeyman. Kind of like a more camp version of a Halloween, where Mm. you're a kid who's out there in the middle of camp, it's an unfamiliar place, and you hear the legend of the hook-handed killer, or in this case, the hockey mask guy with the machete. And kind of like this movie does sort of subvert and twist things on the legend to make things a bit more interesting, but also, admittingly, you kind of have to do some of the Friday 13th staples, find a happy medium between those two, and I think you would get something that's perfectly successful at kind of doing that, with a character, I agree, like Creighton Duke or uh, Tommy Jarvis, that kind of connects you to the history of the franchise, but also kind of have a, a modern perspective on it. Something some of the best entries in the franchise have done, like Part 6, kind of has that where people have kind of forgotten what Jason was, have kind of put in the distance. They've renamed the entire fucking town from yeah, Crystal that was, Lake. that was a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's get to our just final thoughts overall about Jason Goes to Hell, the quote-unquote final Friday. Adam? Well, I mean, obviously, anytime the word final is used in any of these franchises, you, you know it's not the final. Alright, this movie has a lot of problems. There's a lot of shit in it that it's just, what? What is going on here? It doesn't feel, you know, particularly connected to the Friday 13th universe, but not necessarily in a bad way the whole time. I do agree with your sentiment to where if it was just a standalone or a new killer and this is how they started his his own franchise or their own franchise, that'd be a hell of a way to start it. Um... There's a lot of good in this. Like I said, Adam Marcus just throws everything at the wall and some of it sticks. And the stuff that does stick is it's kind of refreshing in a nine in the ninth entry of a fucking franchise. You know, and that's the problem too. I, I, I'm definitely guilty of it. I always forget or don't even take into consideration the fact that this is the ninth entry in a franchise. And when you really think about it, how many of those nine were good? So it's not like you know, he ruined something that's been consistently good for eight films. He tried something new on the ninth one. It was a Hail Mary pass. And, you know, it didn't work. They got taken down at the one-yard line. It's There's enough here that's entertaining, but I think it's best to not think of it as part of the franchise as a whole. To me, this feels like a really well-funded fan film. That's an interesting way to describe it. That feels natural. I, I would overall, I agree with a lot of your sentiments. I think this it's an ambitious movie which makes it far more interesting to me than some of the other bigger failures in the franchise. Like we've said it before, I think the low point of the whole franchise is 8. There's a few interesting moments, but 8 is mostly just like a very formulaic, stupid, uninteresting version of what we'd seen prior. And it, it also, the false advertising on top of that makes it just not that great of an entry, which is a shame. It kind of feels like we talked about Kane Hodder. The biggest sin and tragedy is that Kane Hodder isn't a great Jason in mostly terrible movies. Most of his movies are pretty garbage. But still, this one has a lot of risky ideas, has a lot of interesting kills that don't always work, but at the same time, I always appreciate an ambitious failure more than I do a by-the-numbers one. For all that, I think Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, is worth more of an interesting look. If not for a consistently good movie, a curious experiment for a franchise that had been kind of running its course. Very well said. I agree with all of that. Yes, and that is the end of our discussion of the two entries that are very under-discussed in the Friday the 13th franchise. Hopefully it makes you all, especially our big fans of the franchise, re-examine them. 
And uh, speaking of people who like the franchise, we have some feedback. We asked all of you on our Twitter and Facebook accounts um, for what were your favorite and least favorite moments from the franchise. And we have a few people who suggested uh, one from Scott Johnson, a friend of the show. It's his favorite showing his face to those punk kids in New York. That's a great moment from a terrible movie. Yeah, the, that's probably the best moment in a terrible movie. All the good moments in that movie actually occur, hmm, shockingly, when he's in Manhattan, as opposed to on a right. fucking boat. Interesting. Or in the sewers, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Shane Steele says, Gotta throw some love to Crazy Ralph and his maritime equivalent from Jason Takes Manhattan. There's a death curse! I do love Crazy Ralph. Crazy yeah, Ralph Crazy Ralph was awesome. <laughs> you're doomed. You're yeah, doomed. You're doomed if you stay here. <laughs> Uh, Jordan Worth Cobb says favorite is a tie between Jason punching a guy's head off and the reveal from the first one. Least favorite, eating Jason's heart from this very movie. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's another good moment in that movie is uh, when he punches the head off. Um, I mean, it is. It's so silly, though. Arguably better done when you do uh, it in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That's yes, <laughs> the, I... the, the year prior. Um, and also, the, of course, the reveal in the first movie is one of the great iconic slasher moments. Mm-hmm. Shaquille Lambert has this to say, uh, favorite thing, the liquid nitrogen kill in Jason X. Least favorite, literally everything else in Jason X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know what, I, I can't really disagree with him much on that. I, in fact, no, I agree with him 100%. I, I, Jason X, to me, is easily the worst one on the franchise. I, I don't know, dude. Manhattan, though. I know, but... Uh, there's just a lot more parts about Jason X that I can't fucking stand. But the holodeck scene is so awesome. Oh, <laughs> Let's yeah. have premarital sex. Yeah, yeah premarital so sex. Hot. <laughs> and they kill David Cronenberg yeah. and Uber Jason and a lot of oh. other bits. It's it's not perfect. It's also very inconsistent. There's um, also a Matrix android in it, so I don't know. You know, come on. It's got its problems. Um, Ryan Lindley. As is to say, uh, the single greatest moment in the franchise, fuck that, horror history, Crispin Glover dancing in part four. That's very accurate. That's very true. Uh, I'll give him that. Absolutely. Crispin Glover anything in part four. He's he a dead a, fuck. He is a dead fuck. <laughs> I love his line. You know, Tad, where's the corkscrew? Hey, Tad. <laughs> Scott Crawford has to say, uh, can't wait to listen to this episode. My favorite entry of the series would probably have to be the final chapter, with part two trailing right behind. Favorite quote? That would have to be Crazy Ralph's diatribe at the beginning of the first one. It's got a death curse. My favorite character would have to be Jeannie in part two. She is a tough-as-nails final girl that seems to keep her calm in the face of Jason. My favorite kill would have to be, I forgot the guy's name, but the one that does the handstand as Jason walks up and axes him in the crotch. Brutal. And that's from part three. Yep. Yep, that's part three. That's pretty great. But any comments on his other favorites in here? I'll agree as far as the the females in the series. Uh, Jenny's probably my favorite one out of the final girls. I got a lot of problems with part two as well. I mean, a lot of problems. And I would put four probably right behind six as far as Mm -hmm. the best ones of the franchise. I, I very much agree with that. I mean, I can't disagree with him in a lot. And that was a great kill, by the way. Yes. I mean, that's so fucked up. And that guy kind of deserved it. What are you walking around with your hands for? Stop it. <laughs> Showing off with your hands. Right. You asshole. Uh, um, Eric Avon, at Eric Avon on Twitter, has this to say. Uh, too many favorite moments to mention. Least favorite moment? Jason goes to hell. I don't know, Eric. Maybe give it another uh, chance. Yeah, yeah, Eric, watch part eight again, buddy. Stephen D. at Waiting FTH says, uh, Favorite kill would have to be the boxing match in part eight. But it's literally the only moment I remember from that movie. Yeah. There's a reason. For a mediocre scene that was literally ripped off from a movie that came out a year before it. If that's the only thing you can remember, that's saying a lot. Yes. Um, Also, shout out to the professor guy who gets destroyed in, like, a garbage can of toxic waste for some reason. (laughs) It's in the middle of an alleyway. I know. (laughs) So weird. Um, Apparently they have that in New York in the 80s. Before Giuliani came in, just barrels of toxic waste everywhere. <laughs> Giuliani really cleans up Times Square. <laughs> Disney came in just like, oh, let's get rid of these toxic waste things. First yep. thing to go. Before the porn theaters, toxic waste cans. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> I agree. Open barrels of toxic waste have been seen around in the arms of an angel. 
<laughs> we're going a bit off the rails. Um, yeah, also, totally a bit of feedback from the inv- Alien Invasion episode that we did last week. Uh, Jeff Moore has this to say, I'm so sorry you put yourselves through Battlefield Earth. We're sorry, too. Yeah, Jeff, thanks, man, but we fucking chose to do it. <laughs> you chose to do it. I mean, that's true, but you agreed to the terms. Fuck. Damn this contract on my soul. <laughs> um, and then Oliver Sloan says, Will there be drinking involved in the Battlefield Earth discussion? I think you may need it. I've watched Battlefield Earth four times, and it never gets better or interesting. It's so bad. Well. And fucking how? How have you sat through that four times? I barely sat through it two times. I barely sat through one. <laughs> Uh, you're a better man than well, us, Oliver. Uh, you're a credit yeah, to our go. species. Um, <laughs> you man-animal. Uh, but thanks to all of you for that feedback. Um, also, we want to thank some people before we leave. Shout out to Chris Oliver, who does the music that's used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Emily Scarter for the art that you see on our little podcast here. She accepts commissions at fiverr2rs.com slash ee and obviously we mentioned the twitter and facebook accounts uh at dedbpod uh that you can send us feedback to but also our email at double bill at gmail.com and uh you can follow us in our own individual accounts as well on twitter which is at not the who's tommy for me and what is it adam malekith fan six nine six nine never gets old i can't escape it I mean, I could. I just have to put in five minutes worth of work. But you know, for, for Mr. Tommy Jarvis over here, it is the Jason that haunts his nightmares. <laughs> yep. And also, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review the show to give us more visibility. We we love hearing any kind of feedback, and iTunes feedback helps out the most. It gets more of the curiosity of the iTunes people, and they're just like, "Oh, more people are rating and reviewing this. We got to feature this podcast a bit more." So please, anything constructive, we'll read it. Yes, we will. And that's the end of our discussion for the evening. Um, and now we've got to put our masks back on and go into the woods to kill teens. Let's do it, Adam. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby.